If you're looking for a podcast to help you lose that holiday weight. <laughs> yeah, no. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You've definitely come to the wrong podcast. Yeah. This is comedy. Tragedy. Marriage. marriage. Welcome to our 15th episode. Ermagerd! I know. Yeah. yeah. We've yeah. taken a couple of weeks off. We for did. Holiday, vacation, slash what all. Uh, Christmas Eve, uh, we were occupied. Of course, I guess we could have banked a couple of episodes, but we don't think that far ahead. Uh, no. And as, the, as our bank account would, would show you. And the week before, we were we out were of state. We were out of state. Not, I mean, the internet's everywhere, but... Uh, but still. But we, we just didn't. Get off our backs. Don't judge me! Well, there was actually nobody judging her on our back. Anyway, uh, Comedy Tragedy Marriage, a, a podcast where a longtime married couple take turns selecting what to watch, either movie, TV show, documentary, whatever, and then uh, we sit down and we talk about it. This week, it was Maud's turn to choose, and she chose... The 1942 film... Holiday Inn. Yes. Now, granted, you're hearing this, uh, we're recording this on on New Year's Eve. However, this is a movie that goes through the whole year's holidays. Well, and if you're liturgically minded, Christmas doesn't end until January 6th, so don't judge me. Okay. But anyway, yes, 1942, uh, Holiday Inn, all music written by Irving Berlin. Yes. It was from his story as well. Starring Bing Crosby, Fred Astaire, Marjorie Reynolds, and some other people. And some other people. Um, and, um, well, why don't, you, why don't you tell them the story of, of Holiday Inn? The basic premise is um, the, the movie opens with a trio of performers consisting of Fred Astaire, Bing Crosby, and some other lady who... <laughs> some other lady. <laughs> Yeah, we we plan for these things. Her name is Lila. Her character's name is Lila. Played by Virginia Dale. Played by Virginia Dale. Fine. She is um, Fred Astaire's dance partner, and the the three kind of are a trio team, as it were. Yes, they have a nightclub act at this particular place, but Bing Crosby's character, a guy named Jim Hardy, is engaged to uh, Lila. Uh, he thinks he is. <laughs> well, yes, he thinks he is. But as dance partners, uh, Fred Astaire's character Ted Hanover, Ted, ha Ted Hanover, and Lila have fallen in love. At least he thinks they have. Uh, yeah, at least he thinks they have. Um, so anyway. Bing Crosby's character wants to retire from the show business and open a little quaint inn in Connecticut somewhere and live the simple life. Well, actually, he wants to just run a farm and not, it's not an inn at first. It's just yeah, going to be, true. it's just going to be a farm. Yeah, he just, he wants to retire from the grind of, of everyday um, show business and extra shows on holidays. Right. He just wants to retire and be he, a country gentleman. He thinks it'll be... Uh, he'll be, he'll he'll be lazy. He could be lazy when he when he retires from show business. But that turns out not to be the case. Not so much. No. We get a montage of him having to do all the chores on the farm. Um, 
and falling uh, down a lot. Falling down a lot. There, uh, the the stuntman got got some work on this one. He falls in the snow. He falls out of the hayloft. He falls in the snow some more. <laughs> he he's carrying firewood. He falls. He's he's very clumsy. Yes, and there's a mention of a sanitarium. I didn't know if that was a joke or if he really got put in a sanitarium. I think his character might have had a nervous breakdown. All right, a so bit. he goes back to New York City to uh, visit with uh, Jim or uh, with Ted, Ted and and Lila, uh, and there he runs into Linda Mason, played by Marjorie Reynolds. And she works in a flower shop, but she really wants to get into show business. She sings and dances. She does. Isn't it convenient they just happen to run into each other? Now, it turns out uh, Lila is a uh, a money-grubbing two-bit floozy floozy and runs off with a person in Texas who's a millionaire. Or so she thinks. Or so she thinks. And uh, Ted... um, uh, goes to, oh, sorry, in the meantime, uh, Ben Crosby's character has decided to turn the uh, farm into a inn that only sell, that is only open on, on holidays, holidays, hence the name. And that is actually, a bit of trivia here, that's actually where the hotel chain Holiday Inn got its name inspiration from. Exactly. from this movie right here, y'all. And so, um, um, uh, Bing Crosby's character and Marjorie Reynolds uh, are, are the entertainment, the main entertainment, along with the band and everything. And uh, Fred Astaire shows up drunk and ends up dancing with Marjorie. On New Year's Eve. On New Year's Eve. And uh, doesn't remember it, but their manager, uh, played by Walter Abel, sees them dance and thinks, well, they're the next great partner, the, his next great partner. Yeah. Uh, and so... But he only sees the back of he her. He only sees the back so of he, her. he would recognize her if he could see the back of her. And Fred Astaire would only recognize her if, if he they, danced if with they her. If they danced together, because he was so plastered, he doesn't remember anything but the dancing. And of course, being Crosby, doesn't want that to happen, because the last time a woman he was in love with danced with Fred, Fred Astaire, Astaire, she bailed. She ran off with him. So, uh, it's it's it's... It's one of those classic Hollywood musicals um, where things that would never happen in real life happen to these very talented, pretty people. And there's singing out of nowhere and these uh, spontaneous, well-choreographed dance numbers happen without any practice. But of course. And, and it's it, Golden it, Age Hollywood. It that's is. How, that's how the world worked. It is, and it comes with some of the problems of Golden Age Hollywood, but we'll get to that in a little bit. Ermagerd, yes we will. Well, yeah. Uh, but, all in all, aside from the cringy parts and the silly parts and, you know... The uh, Three's Company-esque confusion, yes, patterns the, of the, betrayal and the, leaving. The one person walking in one door as another person runs down the stairs and... Uh, they just ha- they just miss each other and the and the misunderstandings the misunderstandings yes. and yes uh, aside from all of the overt silliness of movies of this time I actually really enjoyed Holiday Inn it was charming it made me laugh the songs are terrific of course Irving Berlin wrote them so how could so, you go wrong so der uh, and uh, it's it's a fun bit of fluff 
you know. It is. It, you can't take it too seriously. It's a sweet story. Um, cringeworthy things aside, which mm -hmm. I honestly, I had forgotten a lot about this movie. What I remembered about this movie was the fact that Holiday Inn Hotels took their name from the film's title. I did remember, I have always remembered and loved that um, this film is actually where the song White Christmas was introduced to the public. It mm -hmm. actually won an Academy Award for this film. For Best Song of for the Year? For Best Song, yes. Um, they actually, in reading a little bit about this movie's background and history, um, they were thinking that the Valentine's Day song, Be Careful With My Heart, was going to be the runaway hit from the soundtrack. Right. And, um, not so much. I mean, well, it's, it's a nice little tune and all, but White Christmas far and away. It did. It sold well. Uh, but White Christmas is the one that, at least for a time, was in the Guinness Book of World Records. Well, and it's, it's, it's the lasting legacy of this film. Right. And there's other familiar music in, um, in this. Uh, Easter Bonnet. Easter yes. Bonnet. Easter and, Parade. Um, is, uh, there's also Happy Holidays. Uh, right and you know that this and something i thought of after we saw the movie there's a song in the movie white christmas um about something about the world when you're dancing that's very reminiscent of you're easy to dance with yes yes i made that same parallel um in holiday inn Fred Astaire sings and dances to a song called You're Easy to Dance With. Very, very reminiscent of, flash forward 12 years to 1954, you have the film White Christmas and Danny Kaye singing and dancing to um, The Best Things Happen When You're Dancing. With Vera Ellen. With Vera Ellen. And they're very similar in flavor, tempo, mm -hmm. um, very similar songs. Irving Berlin also did all the music for White Christmas. So he's allowed to borrow from himself. Well, yeah. Um, but yeah, I drew that same, I was thinking the same thing. It's like, okay, this is very similar. Yeah, yeah. Um, and, you know, they didn't have home video or streaming services between 42 and 54, nope. so... Uh, you don't have the saturation in the public mind like now, like like you do now. Yeah. That you just didn't have that back then. So people probably didn't notice it as regularly that that he was just rejiggering some of his own songs uh, in different movies. But uh, Irving Berlin, I'm talking about. Yeah. Um, yeah. It is. It is a cheese fest, pretty much. From start to finish. It, it is. It is light. It has a lot of charm. The people are pretty. The, mm -hmm. Okay. Makeup by Wally Westmore, a giant of Hollywood. Mm -hmm. um, and from a family of Hollywood makeup giants, the Westmores. And um, costumes by Edith Head. Hello. Yeah. Okay, this movie was beautiful to look at, even in black and white. Mm -hmm. Just it, just gorgeous. Some gorgeous sparkly gowns and on the ladies and uh, and, the, and lighting, the perfectly cut tuxedos on the men. Of course, um, the lighting um, was beautiful to accentuate all of these beautiful faces and clothes. And um, there was one like kaleidoscope sequence of dancing mm -hmm. where it's like Fred Astaire and and um, his female partner are in the center and then there's like seven more of them around them and it's swirling mm -hmm. and i have to think that for 1941 42 that was probably a pretty 
pretty advanced film technique for, for those days. Well, and even uh, early on, on I think it's the New Year, the first New Year's Eve, or maybe it's Christmas Eve, I'm not sure which. Yeah. But the first time they show that, where the date comes off the calendar and becomes the gets bigger and occupies most of the screen. Like 3D-ish almost. <laughs> well, that, that, that animation probably cost as deal. much as the rest of the movie to make. Yeah. Uh, and they even have a little cartoon turkey that dances between days because Thanksgiving Day keeps swapping back and forth between the 20th and the 27th. Yeah, between the, the third and the fourth Thursday of the month, there was some controversy in this time period. They weren't sure exactly when it was going to be. Oh, okay. And All I don't right. know if that had something to do with the war or if... It, I don't know. Uh, are you sure that wouldn't have been the, the fourth and the fifth Thursday of the month? Let um, me check the wiki. Look, a, oh, look, a smartphone. Hmm. I'm sorry if you're hearing things. It's because um, I'm trying to multitask. According to Wikipedia, and I am quoting, Yes. Many segments of the film are preceded by shots of a calendar with a visual symbol of the given holiday. For November, an animated turkey is shown running back and forth between the third and fourth Thursdays. Oh, okay finally shrugging its shoulders in confusion. This is a satirical reference to the Franksgiving controversy when President Franklin D. Roosevelt tried to expand the Christmas shopping season by declaring Thanksgiving a week earlier than before, leading to Congress setting Thanksgiving as the fourth Thursday in November by law, end quote. All right. So, also from Wikipedia, and again I am quoting, the Japanese attack on Pearl Harbor in Hawaii occurred halfway through filming. As a result, the 4th of July segment was expanded beyond Fred Astaire's firecracker dance, which is iconic in mm. Hollywood filmdom, yeah. by the way, um, to include the patriotic number that highlights the strength of the U.S. military. End quote. So that's another little interesting piece of timing and trivia associated with Holiday Inn. Yes, um, and... That, uh, I knew, I, I had read that, that uh, or you had told me actually, that uh, um, the attack had occurred as they were filming the mm -hmm. movie, so uh, that they expanded that, and it, it kind of sticks out a little bit, because they have that screen where they're projecting the images of Franklin Delano Roosevelt. Yeah, at the end it closes and, with FDR in all of his black-eyed, circled, raccoony-looking glory. <laughs> I'm sorry. Okay, dude was sick, okay? Yes, he and was. he looked he was, like he was sick. He was, he was a, a used-up old man. But, um, and, and all that uh, factory footage and yeah. uh, the planes being assembled and flying through the air. Of course, they were using biplanes uh, probably from World War One in some mm. of those shots. But, uh, I wouldn't know the difference, so thank you for edumacating me. But uh, yeah, it that that's that I'm sure that would have gotten a big uh, applause break um, when it ended, considering um, that it came out just not long after we had entered the Second World War. Mm -hmm. But uh, yeah, it that that kind of sticks out a little bit. It's not as painfully long. Okay. <laughs> 
It's not as pain. Do you, do we want to break before we discuss the painfully? No, long we segment? can we can discuss the painfully. All right, long I'm gonna just jump now. right into it then. I had forgotten that there is some very cringeworthy stuff in this film, owing to the time it was made, the culture that it grew up in. But they do a sequence for Lincoln's birthday which is actually kind of a pivotal plot point in the love story because we see blackface as a device to keep Fred Astaire's character from recognizing his um, purported love interest, the woman he can't recognize, but he would know her if he saw her dance and if he danced with her. Yes. So Bing Crosby at the last minute suggests that they do their number in blackface. Yes, and the, all the wait staff is in blackface, and uh, there's um, the song about a, about what a great man Abraham Lincoln is, but it's delivered in sort of a uh, minstrel show style by Bing Crosby and by blackface. Bing Crosby and um, Louise Beavers, who plays Mamie, the His black maid, cook. Uh, actually sings a line from the song. With her two kids. Yes. And the word darkies is... Uh, it was still in American parlance at this point, which... And it was being said by a black woman. Yes. I know, right up on her, too. Uh, but I'll, I'll get to her in a minute. But, uh, yeah, uh, depending on where you see this movie, that whole sequence may be cut out. The whole yes. uh, Lincoln's birthday sequence will be gone. Um, if you, for instance, watch it on AMC, which is now an advertising-supported channel, yeah, that it has been cut out. out. If you watch it on Turner Classic Movies, it's still in there. Um, but they aren't advertising-supported. Um, it, it is an unfortunate part of American history of... Hollywood history uh, that this kind of thing was done and nobody thought twice about it. Oh gosh, no. And uh, when Marjorie Reynolds does her part in the Lincoln Day um, song and she's in she's in a really exaggerated blackface makeup. Oh my gosh. And with big white lips and her hair uh, is... I, 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 some sort of funky braid thing is going on that I can't even begin to describe. It looks like um, dealy bobbers all over her head. Kinda. Sproingy braids. Yeah, and uh, it, it, I. It was painful. I. It was painful. It was hard to watch. Um, but again, um, things were accepted seventy years ago, seventy-five years ago, that would not will not even be considered by some people now. Uh, so you've got to watch, you know, there are Warner Brothers cartoons, Bugs Bunny cartoons yeah. that have terrible, uh, you know, represent minstrel show type representations of black people. You have an entire Disney movie that you can't find anywhere called Song of the South mm. that's pretty awful. Um, and, uh, you know... Uh, the the clan's favorite movie birth of a nation yes. uh is 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 you know any black person in that movie is a white guy in in blackface so 
you we know. have to remember the times that these films grew up in and um, watch them in that context. Yes. Uh, and, and we know now that this stuff is not okay. No, it is definitely not okay. And um, I'm not trying to, to, to make you accept it. I'm just saying that's the way it was. If I'm sure there are probably DVDs, uh, Blu-rays out there that have the that's that film cut that that section of the film mm -hmm. cut out, and you can probably find that if you go looking for it. But yeah, if if you get the uncut version of Holiday Inn, just be prepared to go. Oh no. Well, and it's not just racist either. This movie's kind of sexist, too. Kind of sexist. Gold-digging, flighty females. Yes. And, um... Women can't be uh, trusted to make their own decisions. You gotta she, lie to them. You gotta... You gotta... You gotta convince her it's what she wants. You gotta tell it to her in the right way. <laughs> that crawled all <laughs> up and down me. And, and uh, you know, also, a woman just really wants a good man and, and a hearth and home. You know, that kind of... That kind of um, thinking. I mean, that's the way it's presented in the movie within the movie. Subtler, um, subtler version of the whole Hormadonna thing. Yeah, yeah. So. So yeah, yeah. racist, there's, sexist. There's a fair amount of stuff in this movie that is that would not fly now. Wouldn't fly. Wouldn't even be considered um, by most people to put into a film. Although. We have not come as far as we think we have in Hollywood. No, um, and we've backed up some considerably in the last three years. Uh, well, yeah. I'm not and, a political person, but ew. But, well, I'm talking about Hollywood specifically. Uh, well, but, Hollywood and Washington are not that far apart. But there's, uh, there's, uh, you know, there are very few female action heroes outside of comic book movies. Um, and usually... Um, the female character is to be saved by the male character. Rather than to save the male character. Or even if the female, uh, it's a female protagonist who's the focus of the film, at some point she's probably going to get saved by a man. So, again, we have not moved as far forward. Um, as we'd like to think. Even societally as well as in Hollywood, uh, as we would hope we have. Hopefully we can continue to make strides forward. Um, we'll talk more about uh, the 1942 classic Holiday Inn right after this. Welcome back to Comedy Tragedy Marriage, uh, the podcast where a couple of old married people sit around and talk about stuff. Um, Speak for yourself. Sorry. I am not old. I am, st I am well entrenched in middle age. <laughs> I am Stan the Movie Man, joined as always by my lovely wife. Maud the Slightly Annoyed Right Now Broad. Yes, and I'm... <laughs> and you're deeply sorry. I'm terribly, terribly sorry. Uh, we're talking about uh, 1942's Holiday Inn, and we've talked about some of the problematic parts of the film. Um, I think it's still worth seeing, and I think that there's still a lot to, to recommend the film if you go in with your eyes open. Yes, uh, now, we talked about the uh, problematic um, depiction of African Americans, the Mammy character, or, or Mamie. Well, her name was Mamie. But right, but yeah. she was, yeah, uh, played by um, 
Louise Beavers, and uh, she was quite uh, the actress, got a lot of rave reviews at everything she was in, Mm -hmm. played against type, sort of, in a... um, uh, a, a couple of movies where while she was still a servant a servant she was the you know she was the mature person who helped the white lady you know figure out her business she was the voice of wisdom um and she she got some very nice reviews including this one uh this is from uh her page on wikipedia uh, personally, Ms. Beavers is just splendid, just as fine as she appears on screen, but she, also ha- but she also has a charm all her own, which needs no screen role for recognition. She has a very pleasing personality, one that draws people to her instantly, and makes them feel that they are meeting a friend instead of a Hollywood star. Um, and she played uh, a character named Delilah in Imitation of Life. Which version? Uh, 1934. We need to watch this. Okay. We need to watch all the versions of Imitation of Life. Um, I have not seen them all. It was not only a breakthrough role for Beavers, but was also the, quote, first time in American cinema history that a black woman's problems were given major emotional weight in a major Hollywood motion picture, unquote. Um, She should have been nominated for an Oscar in some of the uh, Hollywood press's mind, but, quote, the Academy would not recognize Miss Beaver, Miss Beaver's She is Black, unquote. Flash forward five years to Hattie McDaniel's performance as Mammy in Gone with the Wind, for which, in 1940, she won a Best Supporting Actress Oscar. That is right. So, um, that is, um, you know, she, a lot of black actresses in the 30s and 40s had to take these menial and demeaning, oftentimes, roles. For instance... It was what there was. Yes. For instance, Miss Beavers was... um, uh, she was not born in the South, despite what her accent would lead you to believe. She was born in Cincinnati, Ohio, um, and spent some of her childhood in California. She had to learn how to do that accent. Mm-hmm. So Not surprising. It would have been demanded. It would have been it, demanded it have. of an actress, it would of have. an African-American actress or actor in that time frame. Yeah. Uh, so, moving on, um, the, um, the dancing, you know, granted, it, it often comes out of nowhere, and <laughs> it was like, oh, we just dance like this all the time, but... Well, it was uh, Fred Astaire, he probably did. <laughs> well, yeah, but his partners, who, you know, like that scene where he's drunk when he first shows up at the Holiday Inn, and, um, he ends up dancing with um what with her with uh, Reynolds yes Marjorie um, Reynolds um yeah, that sequence actually was brilliant <laughs> because here we have Fred Astaire arguably one of the best five American dancers or any any kind of dancers any nationality of dancers ever to have walked or danced across this planet. 
dancing like a drunk guy. Mm-hmm. And it was just poetry to watch that. Yes, and they threw in some funny stuff as, as well. It was gorgeous. Uh, of course, um, Ginger Rogers said that she did everything that Fred Astaire did except backwards and in and high in heels. heels. That's true. <laughs> and all female dance partners had to had to be able to do that. Mm-hmm. Again, a sexist Hollywood kind of thing that just was. It's unfortunate. It's unfortunate. Um, but and, it gave us a lot of gorgeous dance sequences in, you know, films too numerous to even count or yeah. name. Yeah. Um, and, um, you know, the concept of a holiday inn <laughs> is kind of weird. Um, well, it is. Obviously, you got to be able to make, you got to have enough capital to only be open on holidays to survive the rest of the time. <coughs> okay. 29. 25. Okay. Stan had to cough. Well, I'm going to cut it out. Stan had to cough. He's going to cut it out. He's had a little bit of a cold. Just saying. Full disclosure. Pray for Stan. I'm cutting it out. <laughs> Shush. <laughs> I'm having to cut out more. No, cut it. I'm going to cut it. Fine. It's cut. Yes, having that uh, a place that's... <laughs> All right, I won't cut it. <laughs> having a place that's only open 15 days a year. Oh, that's awesome. I think I just peed on... Ah, yes. You come for this discussion... But you, you stay for the truth. You stay. Oh, God bless you, my children. Mm. You sure you don't want me to cut that? I think I'm fine. <laughs> yeah, it's, the, it's the good, the bad, and the ugly. Comedy, tragedy. <coughs> Coughing. Marriage. Coughing, peeing, and marriage. Yeah. It's a whole thing, people. Yeah. Um, but yeah, the, only being open 15 days a year. It's you, not a good business model. No, you got to be rich to survive the rest of the time. Eddie. You know, he he was broke when he went up there. He after the first couple of days that he was open, he still complained about how broke he was. Well, duh. <laughs> One has to suspend disbelief in yeah. watching a film of this era. You not only have to suspend it; you have to expel it in this particular film with a slingshot. Yes. So yeah, it's uh it it is a silly bit of, of Floof. yes and but if you don't think about it too much it's it's really rather enjoyable with the exception of the cringy r- stuff the racism and the sexism it's really pretty good um so what would you give holiday in 5 star maximum not 11 no not 11 no um Owing to all the cringy moments that I had forgotten about, I'm going to give it a four. Okay, I'm going to probably do a three and a half. Yeah, yeah, I was close. It's, it's, uh, yeah, it's, it, it is entertaining and it's, uh, sort of a look back at, um, a bygone era, but, uh, it's also an era that I don't mind saying bye to. So, yeah. Um, yeah. So, That's fair. uh, yeah, we watched it on Amazon Prime. 
uh, it is a prime selection so you don't have to pay to rent it or buy it so if you have Amazon Prime uh, Holiday Inn is is there for you to watch um, what have you watched since the last time we talked to people okay while you and I were on vacation we started um, that killer dude thing. Um, the confession killer or killer confession? It's the, on Netflix. The ki- the confession killer. Okay, confession killer. Yes. About um, Henry Lee Lucas. Yes. Took me a second. I was thinking not Otis Tool, but no Henry no, Lee I, Lucas. Yes. Um, who knew Otis Tool? Yeah, they they were running partners for a while. For a little while, and you know, two more compatible misanthropes one could never conjure. Yeah. Um, it was compelling and creepy. Yes. Uh, it's six, six, six episodes, episodes. six episodes on Netflix. Um, and while it is a little repetitive at times, um, there, uh, you, you kind of need all the information for the last episode because that's where, you get the oh my goodness you know parts down to the nuts and bolts right yeah. so i don't want to spoil it for anybody but he claims he killed 300 women he didn't and uh it seems like the 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 uh texas rangers and sheriff that were interviewing him and running this sort of um task force um, inviting other municipalities in to talk to Henry Lee Lucas, um, that uh, they they sort of fed him the information they wanted to hear, and then he would give it right back to them. So um, there's 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 a lot of hinkiness. There's also a side story about a uh, county prosecutor who went up against the uh, task force. And then had the feds come down on him like a ton of bricks. Mm. Uh, that is, at least from the way the documentary puts it, it looks like retribution. Tons of um, actual interview footage with Lucas. Yes. So you get a lot. You get a real good look at this guy. Yes, and he is a wreck. He he is a wreck. Uh, he had three teeth in the front, um, and you know he's he's just he didn't have a chance from the very beginning if half of what he says about his parents is true um then then he had no chance in this world that does not excusing what he did but um he's yeah he he was bound for failure no matter what set up to fail born to fail yeah very low iq um, uh, abused as a child, physically, just a lot, and emotionally. Of, just a lot of problems. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, the Confession Killer on Netflix, six episodes. Um, I watched The Witcher on Netflix. Uh, it's based on a series of books that were also a video game, uh, but it's a sword and sorcery kind of thing. Henry Cavill stars as this uh, mixture of uh, human and monster. He's a mutant. Um, they they hint at how painful it is for this combination to be done. There's also a um, 
a, a mage named Yennefer who uh, is uh, also been through her own sort of uh, torture and hell to become what she is. And um, there's also a young princess named Ciri who's on the run from an evil kingdom. Uh, there are these three storylines going on uh, at the same time. And it took me a while to figure out that they weren't being told on the same timeline. Um, things are, you see people that you watched die earlier, but they are back in other episodes. And, and the Witcher is semi-immortal, so he doesn't change. He's been alive for hundreds of years. Uh, but so even things that have happened, you know, 20 years in the past, he looks exactly the same and so on and so forth. So, um, it might be a little slow for some people, but once I figured out it was on a flexible timeline, then it was like, oh, okay, I understand now. That's why these things are happening. They're just telling you everything until it all sort of coalesces in the last episode. But it's not linear. It's not linear. Cool. So it's, I enjoyed it a lot. I'm looking forward to the second season. It's one of the most watched shows um, on um, streaming services, um, even beating The Mandalorian. Uh, so, you know, check out um, uh, The Witcher, uh, or Witcher, on, on, on Netflix. Eight episodes. Uh, there is nudity and some bad language, so be prepared for that. Um, yes? On Hulu. Yes. I watched a creepalicious eight-part thing called The Act. Yes. Um, Patricia Arquette stars as Dee Dee Blanchard, a woman who has a daughter named Gypsy Rose, who, as the story opens, Gypsy Rose is very ill. She has a feeding tube. She's in a wheelchair. Um, she has no hair. Um, it's a very tragic, sad-looking tale. Mm -hmm. And then it comes off the rails. <laughs> Based on a true life story that yeah. you can look up. Um, it's been on, um, th there's uh, an HBO special called uh, Mother, Dead, and Dearest. Uh, there are various, you know, podcasts, and there's things on YouTube, documentaries you can watch on YouTube about it. Yeah, this is legit true crime. It is th the craziest thing you have ever heard. There are... Um, some standout performances in this mini-series is mm -hmm. what I'm going to call it. Mm -hmm. um, a young actress named Joey King, who heretofore I recognized from her role as, a, um, as an outcast little girl in the Taylor Swift video for the song Mean. <laughs> um, she, her performance in this thing is brilliant. Scary brilliant. Um, as are moments that we see of Patricia Arquette. Now, I'm not an actor. I'm not trained to know what is technically good acting. We have a friend named Martin who is an actor, and he can, like, tear these things down and dissect them much better than either you or I can. Um, I thought she was marvelous in this role, her performance, the character. I bought her. I, I think she's been nominated for a Golden Globe for this rightly so 
I yeah, don't think. This has been out for a while. It has. So. It's not new. And again, I, I streamed it on Hulu. I binged the first six episodes in one night, and all of a sudden, holy crap, it's four o'clock in the morning. Uh, and there's two more. Oh, sweet Lord, I've got to get some sleep. So that, that was my line of thinking. So mm -hmm. I watched the first six. And then um, some days later, I watched the final two. This is a compelling, based on real events story. There were some dramatized elements in it, obviously. Um, Chloe Sevigny actually plays an across-the-way neighbor. And her performance is subdued and um, palpable. Hmm. I really enjoyed her performance in this thing. I, I enjoyed the whole thing, but it, it brings to light some very disturbing issues. Yeah, it, it's, um, yeah, the, the story, just, you know, watching a, a documentary is, you just, you just can't imagine how this could happen. But it does, it did, and it does, unfortunately. So um, that is The Act on Hulu. The Act on Hulu. It's, okay. it's 11 wheelchairs up. <laughs> uh, while we were on vacation, I finished watching The Watchmen um, and was very satisfied with how it all turned out. Things that you didn't think for one second would ever come back around again do. Oh, that's um, good. I didn't watch it with you. I'm kind of sorry that I didn't, but... Well, we can watch it again. Yeah. Um, and the, um, uh, there's, there's one character, however, that came, became kind of a meme from the series, and he got the name Lube Man. A very skinny guy in what looks like a silver, uh, uh, like, wetsuit, head-to-toe wetsuit. Yeah. And, um... He is seen by uh, the uh, main character, the the cop, the lady cop. Regina King. Regina King. Hashtag badass in everything she does. Yes. And uh, because of the way he looks, she knows he's probably a costumed vigilante, which in this world is illegal. So she chases after him. And he pulls out these two bottles of, of something. You don't know what they are. And he sprays them on himself. And then he, as he gets to the curb, he lays down in the street and his momentum slides him into a storm drain where he disappears. And he picks up the nickname Lube Man. That's what I've been seeing. Yes. Okay. Uh, and he's, that's the only thing that didn't come back. Hmm. Okay. I don't, I didn't, I, it's like, okay, you introduced him. Let's let him stay. Or bring him back or something. They didn't. He's but in pop culture, though, for immortality, is. because if you're a meme, you have made it. Yes, and there's, um, you know, people are wanting a second season, but I'm not sure how they could do a second season based on all the things that they they kind of wrapped up from the movie slash comic book. Um, Unless they do an anthology kind of situation where they bring back a new set of everybody. Mm. Well, th that would be lovely, except they pretty much answered all, all the, the questions, questions left over from the comic book. So, um, yeah, but it's it's really good. Uh, I, I enjoyed Watchmen a lot. It's on HBO. Um, I listened to an audiobook. <gasps> I know. It is called Andromeda Evolution. 
Now there, Sarah, you know, back in the '60s, there was a book called *The Andromeda Strain*. Yes. And this is a sequel to that. Uh, of course, uh, Michael Crichton has been has uh, been gone for a number of years. Yeah. Uh, but this book uh, was written by Daniel H. Wilson. And uh, it is it is a direct sequel to *The Andromeda Strain*. And cool. it was really good. And, uh, you know, there's it, it wasn't like a radio play for the audiobook. It was just somebody reading it. There's no special effects. Uh, there's no sound effects. Um, no music bad. No music. And uh, while the narrator um, does voices, kind of, uh, she'll throw on an accent yeah. uh, or you know, lower her voice or try to talk like a child or things like that. But otherwise, it is a straight-ahead, very calm retelling or, you know, reading of the book. And I enjoyed it a lot. I really liked it. It makes the the sort of big things that happen because they're delivered in kind of a low-key style just sort of stick in your head more. So it, it provides more of a punch even though it isn't delivered that way. Here is my thought on the whole audiobook thing. Mm-hmm. Um, the right voice for the story can make it or break it. Right. Um, I used to volunteer doing audiobooks for um, visually and learning impaired people. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was a joy to do that kind of work. And I tried to give it the best read I could for whatever the material was. Mm-hmm. Um, it taught me a huge appreciation for the kind of art form that audiobook narration is. And I would love a gig like that. If anybody listening has work for me, I will totally do it for you. <laughs> I can do accents. I can do cartoon voices. I can do whatever you want. But it's, no, the right reader can add so much to the words. Yes, um, um, and as we found out uh, after we watched um, Mindhunter, uh, serial killer Ed Kemper did uh, reading for, for the visually impaired. Ew. <laughs> there are thousands of hours of Ed Kemper on tape uh, floating around out and there. And he may have been quite good at it. He was kind of a kind of a low key kind of voice, and or if it was like that, he probably sucked at it. No, but well, still, no. Um, I stand by my statement. Um, we need more mind hunters. Yeah, well, we we'll get them eventually, but we've got actors and directors and stuff Doing that got to do other stuff, and then then they'll come in together. And we do need it. more Mrs. Maisels. We have them. We just haven't seen them <gasps> yet. We, we've got the third season of Mrs. Maisel. Awesome. We'll be streaming that here, here with, forthwith, shortly, <laughs> presently, all the yes. things, yes. quickly. Um, I saw um, um, Star Wars Episode Nine: The Rise of Skywalker. Uh, it is not the best Star Wars movie, but I did enjoy it. I liked the fan service, which I know some people are complaining about. Um, and, you know, if you're going to dive head first into the entire mythology and look for the little things that you think are wrong you're going to keep yourself up at night you know you need another hobby so you know there's a lot of fan hate towards this trilogy especially uh 
the second film in this trilogy, um, The Last Jedi, which I thought was a terrific movie. But and this one's fine, but it's it's not awe-inspiring or great, or you know, there's not going to be a giant standing ovation at the end of it should you see it in a full theater. It's good, but it's it's not you know it's not overwhelming. Uh, you can see my review of um, uh, the uh, Rise of Skywalker at wimz.com in the blogs section. I also saw a- Adam Sandler's Uncut Gems, which ooh, it sounds painful. Uh, it is actually. Uh, it it's uh, you know it, it's getting a lot of attention for Sandler uh, that he's going to get possible consideration for an Oscar nomination for Best Actor. Um, maybe, but I don't see him actually getting it, getting the nomination. I mean, he'll get considered, but he's not. I don't think he's going to get the nomination. Because this character is very much like pretty much every Adam Sandler character he's ever played. It's just slightly toned down, in, at least as far as the humor goes. Uh, Uncut Gems is a, a story of very unpleasant people doing very unpleasant things. And there's really not any one character that you can say, there's my ray of sunshine. No. Uh, they're all awful. Um, and uh, it's a movie that I that is well made. Um, and uh, I can see why people think it is a really good movie. I just never have to see it again. So I, I gave uh, Uncut Gems three stars, and you can see my review at StanTheMovieMan.com. Um, anything else? It's about to be a new year. Let's bring it. Because <laughs> 2019 kind of kicked my teeth in a little bit. It wasn't the best year. But hopefully uh, 2020 will come into focus I see what you did there. Thank you. And we'll, uh, we'll sharpen our... Uh, I'm stuck now. I don't know. It'll maybe, Hopefully it'll be better. We don't know. we got to live it first. Yeah. Yeah. Here we go. Yeah. Uh, and we will continue to come to you every week and discuss stuff that we have watched on Comedy Tragedy Marriage. Thank you very much for joining us. Uh, as we have been with you for the last quarter of 2019, and we'll sail on into 2020 with you. Have a very happy and safe new year. Don't do anything stupid. Uh, granted, you probably won't hear this on New Year's Eve, even that's when, when we're recording it, but uh, just just be careful out there all the year long. Um, and, uh, you know, please go to iTunes um, and give us five star review, either just five stars or five stars and a comment. Either both is terrific, but uh, the five stars is really kind of what we're looking for. We need the stars, yo. We need some stars. We would appreciate it. Uh, so, I guess that'll do it for this episode and 2019. So you be good out there and uh, go see something. Uh, give us a holler. Uh, you can follow me on Twitter at MovieManStan. And if you want to send me an email, send us an email. You can send that to us at StanTheMovieMan123 at gmail.com. 
What are we going to watch next week? I don't know yet. I'll tell her, and then we'll tell you. How's about that? Sounds like a plan. All right. That's it for this edition of Comedy Tragedy Marriage. Until next time. Later. Later. Yay!